all here for worship. We are wrapping things up today in a message series called The Trust Factor. And, and today's message, it's entitled Going All In. And what you see in this video is this, you know, everyone kind of marching to the same beat. Everyone moving in the same direction. It's kind of symbol, symbolic of the world and how it's just pulling us in a certain direction. And how easy and how natural it is for us to just to get in line and start walking along with the ways of the world. But what you see in the video is somebody who encounters Christ and he start, his life gets transformed and then he begins to infect the lives of other people. And it, it's just, it's kind of sporadic, it's infectious. And this is really God's hope for us is that our lives would be not just moving in the same direction of the world, but going a different direction, turning our life towards God and letting him lead our lives in a different way. It's not safe. It might hurt. That's what that song said. You know, but we've got to make a change. If we really want to um, allow God to use us, be used by him, then it's, it's probably going to be painful at times. And we certainly don't want to live our life with, with regrets like the, mo- like the song said. I don't want to live my life you know, wishing. I don't want to spend my whole life asking you know, and wishing I could do this over. I don't want to go through the motions. That, that really is the, the, the wrap-up of what we're, what we're looking at here today. And the more that I understand the call that God has on my life, not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Christ, the more I understand how radically different my life needs to look over time. And God is trying to change me, and my life needs to run contrary to the way that the world looks. And so it does seem easier for me sometimes just to get in line and head the same direction as our culture, but God, He keeps stretching me and pushing me out to the edge in certain areas of of my life as I try to obey Him. And I know you're feeling the same tension. If you're trying to walk with God, then you probably feel the same pull towards the way of the world. And at the same time, you feel God pulling you in a different direction and saying, hey, get out of that mold and start doing life differently. And um, my hope for this message series was that you would come to the point that we would all be at the point where we would say, God, I am tr- I'm willing to trust you to the extent that I will obey you regardless of what you ask me to do. I'll obey you. I'll I'll obey you no matter what. And that, that's a huge statement to make, to come to God and to make that statement. And um, that, that's a very risky thing. And that's something that I promised that we'd be looking at, the risk involved. Um, but following Christ is not for those who are faint of heart. It's not for those who, who want a predictable and safe life. If that's what you're looking for, then Christianity, following Christ, is probably not for you because God is going to keep pushing you out towards risky areas in your life. We've looked at the past uh, month at some of those areas that God wants us to trust Him in. Following leadership is one area. On all levels, you'll never step away from leadership. You'll always find yourself with people over you. You have bosses, uh, you have family um, leadership, you have uh, leadership in our society, the government, you have church leadership. There's just You're always going to find yourself under leadership. And the way that you follow leadership is a direct reflection to your trusting in God. You might not believe that's the case. You might see the connection, but the Scripture says this is a huge issue for the follower of Christ, that they would stay submitted under authority. Another issue is risking our reputation. We looked at this briefly last week, how baptism is an important part of saying to others, hey, I've become a Christian. I've uh, yielded my life to Jesus Christ. He's taken control of me. But that's a reputation issue. It's, It's a big uh, it's a scary thing to stand before friends and family and others and say, I've, I've, I follow Christ, and to publicly make that commitment. I'm excited that there's some folks that are doing that today, 
And, uh, you know, but it's a scary thing. It's a reputation question. Another question that comes up when we're walking with Christ is, how am I going to steward my time? What am I going to do with my time? Am I going to let God use my time? And am I going to commit my time to Him? Or am I going to be the one that's controlling all the details of how I use my time? That's a trust issue. We have to trust God with our time. The last, uh, last week we looked at giving and just the financial stewardship side of, of walking with the Lord and how challenging that is to release our resources that are actually God's. He says He owns them all, but He wants us to use um, a portion, give it back to Him for His work and for His kingdom advancement. And, you know, all of those areas are, are pretty risky, but I think today the one we're looking at today is, is the most scary one. And you can follow along on the listening guide, but trusting God... Here's what we're really going to look at is trusting God requires full surrender. This is the riskiest thing that we've looked at yet. It's full surrender, meaning I give everything over to you, Lord. When we come to that point, we say, God, I'm willing, I trust you no matter what you ask me to do. Full surrender. And the example we're going to spend most of our morning looking at is Jesus himself and how he, he fully surrendered himself to his heavenly Father's plan. And he released everything over to God's eternal plan that he was working out before any, anything was ever even created. God released himself, to, or Jesus released himself to that plan and said, I will go and do whatever I need to do. This is the week, this is a spiritual um, high point for those of us who follow Christ because this week we remember several things. One is on, you know, today marks the day we, we remember Jesus coming back into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and he came in as a king would enter into a city, and by the end of the week, he was killed. He was murdered, crucified. So in that week, all these different events happened that changed history. On Good Friday, this week, we we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. When he went to the cross and he suffered and died, that's what we remember on Friday. And then on Easter, we remember him coming back to life. We're going to celebrate that next week. Uh, but if you ever are wondering, I, I don't know if God really loves me. How much does He really love me? What God did is He showed us how much He loved me. He loves us by dying on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says that he, he kind of said, I love you this much. You know, it says, but God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is, this is you know, with outstretched arms, He willingly suffered he took on the sins of the entire world, the Bible says. Past, present, future. He took on the sins of the entire world. He absorbed everything sinful and despicable about every one of us and everyone that has ever lived. And you might think, I'm not that bad of a person. But uh, we're all capable of doing some pretty horrible things. Um, inside of us, our hearts are kind of like a mixed bag. We've got some good stuff in there, and we've got some problem areas in there. And we all have the potential, Scripture says, to do great harm. All the days of our life, we have that potential. And Jesus, in His own flesh, He absorbed it all. He took it to the cross, and He paid the penalty of our own sin and our rebellion. See, all of us deciding to go our own way in life and to move in a direction far different from what God would would have, it meant that our sin, that, that sin which is us going our own way in life, it separates us from God. And so God, He sent Jesus to suffer and to die so that we wouldn't have to pay for our own rebellion. He paid the penalty for us. Sometimes we think, oh, 
you know, Jesus' death, it's like God forgot about what we did. No, it's not that God forgot what we did. It's that he, he allowed Jesus to pay the price for what we did. Somebody had to suffer, and Jesus did. Our sin was actually nailed to the cross. And the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says that God made Him, it's talking about Jesus, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin. He became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He surrendered it all. He, took, he fully gave everything up so that we could have a, a chance at new life and we could start fresh and be forgiven. You know, that's the greatest news any of us could ever discover and encounter. Uh, if you know the story, you know, his suffering ended in his death. He was buried, put in a, in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the grave. We're going to look at that next week. But this morning, what I want to look at is what Jesus was experiencing in his final moments with his disciples. Uh, if you're familiar with the picture of the Last Supper where you see Jesus seated around a table with his followers and he's, he's sharing the Lord's Supper. He breaks some bread and he gives them some wine and he says these, these things are symbolic of the blood that was to be shed for them and the body that would be broken for them. And then after they share in that Last, last Supper, the Scripture says he leads them out to a garden. And I want to pick up there because I want you to see just how much Jesus fully surrendered to God's plan. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 22. You can follow along on the screens or in Bible if you brought one. I want you to notice all the different ways that you see here. First thing is Jesus fully surrendered his emotions. Okay, He, he surrendered the way that he felt about his own death, his emotions and his concerns. Look at Luke 22, verses 39 through 44. It says, Jesus, he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. This was his typical you know, routine was to spend time in prayer. He, after long days of ministry and serving other people, he would go and pray. It says, so he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. It's late at night on reaching the place. He said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed. And he prayed this. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So he knew what he was about to face. He knew that he was going to be beaten, he would be tortured, and he would be nailed to a cross and left to die. He knew that he, that he would take on the sins of the world. And I think the, he, he, you know, Scripture says, he's saying, Father, if there's any other way, if, there, if there's any, anything else we could do so that people can be forgiven, you know. And then he submits himself. What you see is he, he handed his emotions and his concerns to God. He says, you know, not my will, but yours be done. You know, there's just this picture here of submission to the Father, to the will of the Father. He also surrendered his hopes for the future. Look at the next verses. His hopes for the future were, were really embodied by people. He hoped that people would take his message on. The people that he spent his time with, he hoped that they would take the message on and spread that message throughout the world, that it would become this infectious movement where God would change people's lives all throughout human history. And Look at what happens. It says, he gets up, he's praying, he's in anguish. 
And it says in verse 45, when he rose from prayer and he went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now he had already told them, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then they fall asleep. Has anybody ever fallen asleep praying? I have. (laughs) You know, and uh, I'll be tired. I'll be praying. I've even fallen asleep praying with my wife. And she'll say, are you asleep? (laughs) Because I'll say something that has nothing at all to do with, I'll be in a dream state apparently. And so, but they were tired. Their, their days walking with Jesus and doing ministry with him had stretched them to the limit. But he said, hey, pray, stay focused here, and they fall asleep. And so you've got to wonder, at least I wonder, if Jesus was asking questions like, man, what does the future really hold for this movement? Will my death be in vain? He knew he was going to die. And I wonder if he was asking questions about, are these guys going to be able to take this on? They're falling asleep right now. Are they going to be able to be the leaders that, that are needed to carry this message out so that the world will know who I am? I'm sure that those were questions, but he surrendered his hopes for the future. He also surrendered his reputation. And Luke 22:47 through 62, you kind of get, you get to see this where he's arrested. It says, while he was still speaking, he was talking to them, he, a crowd came up and the man who was leading them, I'm sorry, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. This was one of his twelve disciples, Judas. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? So they, they were ready to you know, throw down at that point and just to defend, to defend Jesus. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. You see, Jesus was leading a different kind of movement. It wasn't going to be through military domination, that he would advance his kingdom. And so his disciples, they kind of reverted back to physical violence in order to get the job done. And he he kind of put a stop to that. He healed a man after Peter cut his ear off. And Peter would just kind of sometimes get ahead of things. And uh, But he goes on and it says, Then seizing him, so they captured him. And look what happens. They led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Slowly, he finds himself alone. Jesus is abandoned by his disciples. They were also afraid for their own lives. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the court and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Now, he had just been in the garden praying with him. He had just shared a... a, he had just shared a supper with him where Jesus knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. And Peter says, I'm with you till the very end. And here Peter's denying him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord, because Peter could see Jesus, he turned and he looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. 
You know, so here Jesus is on trial by himself. There is no one there to stand beside him to verify or to support him or to come and defend him because his, his followers were truly concerned for their own lives. And so Jesus' reputation was fully on the line because there was all these accusations coming. And just imagine putting yourself in a place where you, you, knew, you know you're in the right and there's all these accusations that are wrong against you and nobody is willing to back you up. You know, your reputation is on the line in those moments. And Jesus, he fully surrendered his reputation to God. He continued to just walk this course, trusting in God. He also, suffered, he also surrendered his comfort and his well-being. He surrendered his comfort and his well-being. Look at verses 63. It goes on and it says, The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and then beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. The mockery and the beatings went all through the night. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but all through the night. This was a Thursday night. And then daybreak comes, and there's a trial. And he's falsely accused, and he's convicted. He was beaten some more. He was publicly humiliated before all these people, many of whom Jesus had touched them in some way with his life. He'd done ministry. He'd, he'd helped people. And even people who he was close to, you know, he was just, it was like he was on his own. Now, there were a group of his closest followers who were broken, and they were, but they were scared for their own lives. And they were, they were watching closely, but from you know, enough of a distance because they were concerned. There was some women that cared deeply about him, his mother, and some of those that he'd done ministry with. But Jesus, you know, I'm sure he would have wanted some close, up close support. And in the scripture, we don't get, um, you know, his followers are allowed to come up close, but there was a sense of abandonment for the most part. Because who wants to stick up for a man who's going to be tried and hung on a cross? He was, uh, if, you, if you know the story, Pilate, the Roman leader, was going to release him, but the people were so angry at Jesus that they asked that they exchange a prisoner, that Jesus be crucified in place of a murderer. And so they released a murderer and allowed Jesus to take his place to be crucified on that day. Continued to beat him, shame him, humiliate him. Eventually they led him to the place where he would die. They put a crown of thorns, drove it into his, into his skull. They wrapped him in a loincloth. They stripped him down, wrapped him in a loincloth. You know, talk about humiliating experience. Now this is God himself. Jesus is God in the flesh. They nailed him to a cross. You know, they drove spikes through his wrists and through his feet in order to secure him to the cross. Crucifixion being the most painful method of torture and death. Um, if if hanging there, you know, most most of the prisoners they would check to see if they're if they're dead because they wouldn't be able to pull themselves back up to to breathe, and so um, some of them just died of of suffocation if the pain didn't kill them already. Um, you know, just all of this stuff that Jesus went through, he you know, his comfort and his well-being was completely taken away, and yet he fully surrendered himself to the Lord. He didn't sit there and he could have done you know, what he needed to do. He could have called down angels and rescued him. He could have wiped out everybody involved in the situation because he was God himself. But he just decided to surrender to the plan. Last thing is he surrendered his life. 
He surrendered fully his life to God's eternal plan. Nobody took his life from him. He laid it down. Scripture says he he actually laid it down willingly. This was all part of God's plan. There was no other way. And Jesus knew this. There was no other way for humanity, for mankind to be forgiven and to be reconciled or to have a restored relationship to God the Father and to be made clean. This is the whole reason that we're able to approach Him. For those of you who've decided to follow Christ, what you do, you're believing that Jesus actually died for you on the cross and that He rose again and that His, His resurrection is evidence of the power that he can, he can change your life, that He can deal with the sin and give you a new start. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 53, I'm not going to walk through this whole thing, but Isaiah chapter 53 talks about this plan. This passage was written over 800 years before these events were unfolding in Jesus' lifetime. But Jesus' life wasn't taken. He was willingly walking a path and a plan that God had already ordained in eternity past. Look at Isaiah 53. It says in verse 1, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now this begins to talk about Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Kind of an ordinary character. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is all talking about Jesus. You see, he submitted himself to this plan. None of this, none of these incidents, you know, when he was pierced through the side, none of these things were just random acts of, you know, of circumstance. This was all stuff that God said would happen. It says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. Iniquity is another word for sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shearers is silent. He did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence. Even the, the facts about his tomb was prophesied about Years, hundreds of years before these events unfolded. Yet it was, verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Verse, I want to skip to verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with our transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This was, again, this was part of what God was trying to do. And Jesus fully surrendered himself to God's plan. This is a great picture of full and total obedience and surrender. And this is what God wants from us right here and right now. Total surrender. Full, complete surrender. Where we say, God, I'll trust you no matter what you ask me to do with my life. We usually, we usually say, God, I will trust you. And then we have some... Uh, 
little fine print, except, you know, this, 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 this. Jesus, you can see, he didn't have any fine print. He was just willing to go all the way. And this is the same kind of commitment that Jesus called his followers to. Jesus called all his followers to the same level of commitment. Total surrender. He didn't just say, I'm going to do it this way, and as long as you guys are 50 percenters, then that's all we need. We'll get a bunch of 50 percenters, and we'll get the job done. No, he said, if this movement is going to spread, we need full commitment. And so look at what he says in Mark 8, 31 through 38. This is in his ministry as he was helping people understand what it was going to cost them to follow. The powerful passage, he says, I'm sorry, I'm in Luke. I was like, that doesn't match up. Mark 8, 31, it says, He then began to teach them. Now, this is before his death. He says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He's talking about, this is what's going to happen in my life. Jesus is saying that. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's basically saying, Jesus, you don't have to do that. And look what he does. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus is working a different plan. And Peter was working a a human, natural plan. It didn't make sense. And then verse 34, he carries on his same thought. This, This statements here are connected to what he had just said about how he would die. Look at what it says. Then he called the crowd to him and along with his disciples and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he's saying, he's telling him, I'm going to die, but I'll come back to life three days later. And he says, if anyone wants to come after me, you need to take up your cross. The cross is a symbol. It represents our own suffering and our death. This is a call to full commitment, saying, God, I will even give my life for you. This is what God calls us to. Are we willing to take up our cross and say, God, I will put to death my goals, my dreams, my ambitions, and, and, and I'll do what you want me to do with my life. I have plans, but I'll set those plans aside. I'll put those to death. I'll take up my cross, and I'll walk in a direction that's far different than the world. And I'll follow you. He says, this is where life is truly found. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you're holding so tightly to your goals and your dreams and your ambitions, and yet you said, I want to follow you, he says, you're going to lose everything that's important to you. You'll you'll lose your grip on being able to accomplish those things. The only way to truly live, he says, is if you will lose your life, if you'll loosen your grip for me, he's saying, for Jesus and the gospel, then you'll save it. You'll save your life. It's backwards thinking. And he's saying, I will take care of you along the way. None of us really want to uh, the hard life. None of us want to live out the hard life. Most of us, I think, me included, would like to just live a pain, you know, somewhat of a pain-free or a minimal pain you know, Christian life. And um, so the thought of taking up my cross and giving everything up for him, that's just a scary thing. Um, I think most of us can identify in some way to a video clip we're going to show here in a second. It's kind of a humorous clip from a movie called Nacho Libre. And um, 
Nacho Libre, is a, he's a Catholic monk, and he is, he's not content with his life. You know, he, he'd been called by God into the ministry, apparently, but he's not content to just let God shine. He wants a little piece of the action. And so I want you to see kind of what he claims here. And I think this kind of describes some of what we wrestle with in this area. Go for it, guys. <laughs> circle here. I think what, what you see in this clip is a guy who, who he was, yeah, he just wasn't content with the life he was living. He wanted a little taste of the glory. And that, I think, is something we all struggle with. We want a little taste of, of the glory in life. We, we, want, we want God to get his as long as we get ours. And so we're able to say, God, I'll give, you, I'll give you my life as long as you give me these things and let me live out all my goals and dreams. And we're not content to just live the life that he has asked us to live. And we have a hard time saying, God, I'll trust you no matter what. We say, I'll trust you if. And so it's hard for us not to share VIP status with God. And, but this is what it would require. If we're trying to save our life, we've got to give it up. We have to loosen our grip on our desires and trust him with the life he's asked. God wants to move us from come and see. This is where things start out is... We, we come to Christ investigating who He is. And there's a shift. But in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, it says, John, it says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They were curious about who is this Jesus character. And turning around, Jesus said, He saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, come, and you will see. There's this invitation in the early part of Jesus' ministry saying, here, come and, come and see. Come and see who I am. Come and see what I have to offer. There's this invitation to just come and investigate. But there's a shift that has to take place. We have to move from come and see to come and die. That sounds really harsh, but that is what Christ calls us to. The, the truth about the call of those who would follow Christ is in Mark 8.34. We looked at the verse already, but then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So how do we make that shift? What would it take for me to shift from, I want to come and see, and at the same time to shift all the way to, I'm willing to die. I'm willing 
to commit my life to you to the point where I'll surrender anything. I'll trust you no matter what. He wants to move us from consumer, where it's all about me and what I want, to commando, where it's all about him and his mission and what he's trying to accomplish. That's what he's trying to do in our lives. Look at Acts 20. This is the understanding that Paul had, one of Jesus' followers, after Christ had ascended. This is how the movement began to spread because people were willing to put their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. It says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul didn't know how he was going to carry out this ministry. He says, I only know that in every city, he's talking about in the past, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I think that's a powerful statement. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the task, finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He's saying this is what it's all about. He has decided to come and to die. He has decided to put his life down, to lay his life down, because somebody else modeled that. That someone is Jesus. Jesus laid his life down, not so that we could get a taste of the glory, but so that we would follow in full surrender and give ourselves up for his mission. This is the only time in history that we have to fight for God. It's a battle because moving the world is moving in a very strong pull and current in a certain direction. But this is the only time in history where you're alive and you have a chance to go against the current and to allow your life to be infectious, to, to allow your life to, to come up against other people and to share God's love with them. But that is a serious spiritual battle that we need God's help for. But this is the only part of God's eternal story where we're actually in it and we're in the game. We have a privilege of being in it. Once I die, and once you die, we'll be in a whole nother set of circumstances doing something different. In heaven, if we know Him, we'll be celebrating Him for all eternity. We'll be worshiping Him. But we will not be able to get this time back that we have. This is our limited window of opportunity. And I plan, personally, to fight for God for all that I can, with all that I've got, for all it's worth. And, and I'd encourage you to make that same commitment in your heart that you decide, I'm willing to follow you fully, God. I will hold nothing back from you. Don't wait for another life because there's not another life to live. What life are you waiting for? We're going to wrap things up and we're pray in just a second. And um, well, let, let's pray together as we respond to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your goodness. We thank you for this call that you've put on our lives. God, it is a, um, it is the most, it's, it's the scariest call. It's the most challenging decision to make to follow you and to truly commit ourselves fully to you. But Lord, you have asked us to do this. And you, you, you laid your life down for us. And you said, if we will loosen the grip on uh, the control factor of our lives, you will help us discover the real life. Lord, I pray that that would be um, true of us here. Lord, that you will, in our church, continue to grow men and women, children, teenagers, who release their lives to you and say, God, I'm, you, I'm yours for your purposes. I'll work out your plans in my life. Well, I, I, don't wanna, I don't need to, to get mine. I don't need to get glory for myself, but I'll, I'll release 
my life into your hands, and I trust you fully. Lord, thank you for this call on our lives, and we pray that we would respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to take out this card, and um, you'll find that there is some, on the back side, there are some next steps here. just want to tell you briefly about these. The first next step on the far left, if you, these follow with the outline, but you might check this next step of, I'll trust Christ with my life for the very first time. If you've never decided to come to Christ and, and to become a Christian, what that means is you decided, you recognized you were going your own way in life, and you decided you wanted to stop going your own way and to turn your life in a different direction, to start going God's way in life, believing that He died on the cross for you as Jesus and that He was risen again, and deciding to give your life to Him and say, God, I want you to call the shots in my life from this point forward. That's what it means to become a Christian. If that's a decision you'd like to make today, you can just check that box there. And, um, and then we want to help you nail that down. We'll send you some information, put someone in touch with you. The next box is maybe there's a specific area of your life you need to surrender control to the Lord. And you feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm like a 90 percenter. I, I, I do want to do what God wants, but I'm holding back some areas. Maybe you've identified there's some specifics that you need to release to God. And I'd encourage you maybe to check that box. Another one would be, I will invite someone to come with me on Easter Sunday. Um, maybe you've not taken seriously the call of making disciples, how God wants us to be used to, to help others come to know Him. And I, I'd encourage you to invite someone with you to Easter. We've got stacks of these in the back on the table, so if you'd like to pass these out um, to people, to bring them with you, that'd be great. This probably be a large Sunday for us next week, so we'd love it if you'd come and bring a guest. The last thing is memorizing a verse. Acts 20, 24. This is a great verse. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So I encourage you to, to, to apply this message in some way by checking one of those boxes. And you're going to turn this um, paper into the, uh, into the offering in just a few moments as it comes around. So let's continue to worship.